Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Gore, and today I'm joined by Professor Gino Martini, who is the Chief Scientific Officer for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and also a Professor of Pharmaceutical Innovation at King's College London. He's also, uh, he also has an extensive background in the pharmaceutical industry, having spent over 17 years at uh, GlaxoSmithKline, at Roche, and also at Shire uh, in commercial innovation technology-based and, and also medical affairs roles, being responsible for groups in the US, Europe, and also the emerging markets. So uh, welcome to the show, Professor Martini. Uh, thank you, Spencer. And also, may I start off with an apology if people are expecting a sophisticated Italian accent. I'm afraid I'm, a, I'm from Liverpool. So there you go. <laughs> no, that's quite all right. I'm, I'm my family's from Liverpool, so it's it's a welcome sound to me always. Um, so, so just to start off with, um, often when we do interviews with pharma professionals, we discover that they began their careers in uh, academia and then moved into the pharma industry later on. So, um, you've got quite a different way of doing things in that you began your career in pharma and you've now. Uh, operate within academia. Can you talk us through the motivations behind that sort of route that you've taken? Well, I think I've always been a, a frustrated academic. I, I, I mean, I went into research m- more by chance than by design. I, I you know, I, I trained as a pharmacist and uh, and I, I pursued a career in, in community, but I was co- coaxed back into research by my PhD supervisor, Professor David Atwood at Manchester. And so I, I went into research kind of by accident. And, and in fact, my first job offer, fully enough, was in academia at the University of Bradford. But by that time, after I done my PhD, I was really quite intrigued in, 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 in drug delivery. So I, I kind of went into the industrial pathway, yeah. uh, started my career at SmithKline Beecham, which then became GlaxoSmithKline. But I felt I, I always hogged on uh, about being an academic. Um, um, I... I I think towards the end of my career at, at GSK, um, I, I crave more more freedom to 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 be creative and, and innovative. Uh, and I think when I turned forty, I thought, well, if it wasn't going to do academia then, I'll never would. So I decided to go into academia at King's College London, uh, with the late Professor Peter Highlands uh, offered me a chair in innovation, uh, and I really embraced it. I really enjoyed uh, the, the the exposure to students, the research. Um, and the freedom to operate, the freedom to 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 study areas that you know that you wanted to study. So that that's that's what I did. But it was always of a view that with the experiences I'd learned in academia, that I would always go back into industry to try yeah. and bring those learnings with me. Um, and that's what I did. I, I thought five years uh, at King's, I, I I then moved back into industry uh, for a couple of years, and then again I created freedom and and to be more influential and to pass on my learnings to to my profession. So that's why I've ended up being the chief scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. So I'm a great believer in movement and uh, fluid boundaries. I feel yeah. um, you, you gain more, you, you, you learn more. Uh, it may not be always the best financial decisions, actually, <laughs> sometimes. But yeah. in terms of making you a round individual uh, and understand um, the healthcare arena and pharma in, in, more, in more detail, at least from different contexts, I think that's a very valuable thing for me to have done. And, and, and that's how I did it in that direction, in that way. Brilliant. No, it's fasc- fascinating to hear that. You know, obviously, with, with the current situation and the current crisis going on in healthcare, I just wanted to touch on COVID-19. Um, you know, what, what do you think is expected of, of and, and what's required from the academic community during this challenging period? Well, okay, there, I mean, there are a couple of things we need to talk about with COVID-19 as a chief scientist I've had to deal with myself. And 
and it's the rapidity it's the it's the generation of of data uh, of 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 theories uh, hypotheses um happening virtually every day so i'll give you a simple example i'm ibuprofen a very simple very old drug yeah. you know can you use it uh, for people call it or can't you and that and that and that was moving very quickly every week. You know, you know, there's yes, you can, yes, you can't. There was this kind of um, gray area about whether you could use it or yeah. not. And what I've noticed, and, and also, you know, this disease, this, this virus, the way people respond uh, to this virus is obviously very is, very, is very different depending upon your genetics, your, your, your physiology, how well you are, have you. And, and of course, because there's no cure or there's no, no, no real treatment other, other than support, supportive care, there's been a lot of compassionate use, okay? You know, we're using medicines off-label to try and yeah. help this patient. And so, of course, there's been a lot of um, lot of usage in, 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 in that way and also a lot of inference done on the data, on the results, without you know, proper control, um, clinical trials with robust controls. So what's been happening is there's been a lot of hype, a lot of uh, expectation about some of these medicines which are in development being used uh, compassionate, uh, i.e., off label, that you know it, it has caused a lot of confusion, and you know a lot of these trials have, to, have had to be repeated um, again. But you know we've got to understand that people are trying the best, people are trying to help patients, and you know trying to use their clinical judgment and rationale to do the right thing. And I support that. Um, but I think going forward, I think we need to learn from this because this this really is fast moving and you know, things are changing really quickly. Clinical trials protocols are being approved within a day. There used to be months to do so, and trials have been activated very quickly. And, and, and so be it. But I think we just need to understand that the data that's generated does need to be reviewed properly uh, and, 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 and then you know, decisions are taken from what, um, once that review has been, been completed, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, it's it certainly it, it the, the the crisis has led to a lot more innovation and sped up innovation. I think, and that that takes us on to you know, looking back at your career. You focused on innovation a great deal, um, including a role as the chief scientific officer for uh, startup funding club. Mm-hmm. So, so in pharma innovation, it's often um, associated with the application and adoption of of digital. To what extent do you think that that digital is the epicenter of innovation at the moment? Well, it's, it's it's the key enabler, isn't it? I mean, we're all, we're all, we're all walking around with, with uh, very sophisticated mobile phones. You know, uh, some mobile phones could even measure your your, your blood oxygen levels. You know, yeah. uh, with a pulse uh, pulse oximeter, or measure the number of steps you're taking. We're now looking at these mobile phones for track and trace because of your mobile data and your Bluetooth. So clearly, they are uh, enabling bits of equipment. And um, you, you know, you look at something like WhatsApp, for example. You know, medics and clinicians are talking to each other virtually every day on WhatsApp groups, explaining, you know, uh, case histories, uh, seeing a patient, not really sure how to treat them, and exchange information and data so they can make a good judgment call. It, it really is the epicenter. It really is an enabling uh, technology platform that allows people to make uh, the best decisions. At the end of the day, you can only make the best decision based on facts and data. The more yeah. data points you have, you know, and the more different views you have. I'm a great believer in this, by the way, that, that we do need to have a, a mixture of, of thoughts, of disciplines to get a good decision. Um, and I think that's very important. I think sometimes that's lost in business. So I think, you know, uh, I think people like Mavericks or people who are who have a different view, they're very important people to have around the table to yeah. really challenge, really have a different perspective. And I think the digital platforms allow uh, that 
that, that conversation, that discussion, that exchange of data to occur on a number of different levels and to provide the richness of data you need to make the best decision you, you can make. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 you know, as an industrial pharmacist, what are some of the innovative responses uh, to COVID-19 from the pharmaceutical industry that you've been impressed by? I think what we've seen, I think I can summarize in three words, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. I mean, what we've seen here has been an unprecedented level of collaboration between companies who are, you know, have been very competitive, but have really put their competitive edge away and have worked collaboratively to try and make these make things happen. Um, so you've got the Bill Gates Consortia, uh, where a number of companies are working together across different disciplines, whether it's pharma and, and, and med tech. Uh, we have AstraZeneca with GSK with the testing facility at Cambridge. Yeah. You know, we have, we have Roche, obviously, with the new antibody test that they've, they've been developing. You know, they are working in a very collaborative way. And it's really interesting because prior to the COVID um, outbreak, you know, Vive, uh, which was a collaboration between GSK, Pfizer, and Shinoki, had really made some fantastic progress on developing, you know, novel combinations for HIV um, uh, uh, treatment. Yeah. And that, that, that told me that greater collaboration and coordination long as done in the proper way, can actually help companies develop uh, more effective treatments. Because if you think about it, about 20 years ago, everyone was competing with the same kind of molecule, or you have the Me Too, yeah. and they're all doing the same Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3 programs. And sometimes you got to the position where one company would fail a Phase 3 program, and then a competitor would follow and do exactly the same trial with a Me Too, only to find out two years later, that would also fail. Why? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so ultimately, um, you know, it, it makes no sense copying and, 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 and being competitive if you're just going to repeat the same mistakes. What you need to be doing is collaborating and sharing best practice. So a good example is you look at the airline industry, you know, if there's a near miss, they all sit around and say, yeah. how did that near miss happen? What can we learn? And I think that's the mentality we need to have in the industry. And I think we're seeing that now. There's extra collaboration that's going on. Uh, and of course, you know, different views of thinking, you know, more, more mavericks, the better, get a different perspective. And I think that always comes out with better outcomes. Yeah, there's a, there's a great book by uh, Matthew Saeed called Black Box Thinking, uh, yeah. which, which compares the airline industry and healthcare. And it's very, yeah, fascinating read that one. Um, so, so it's been said that alongside, you know, all of the damage and disruption that's taking place in this crisis is going to create. Um, that, that, that we're going to get the momentum needed for change. So, so what sorts of innovation do you see being accelerated as a, as a result of COVID-19 uh, other than the, the sort of the collaboration that we've just talked about? Well, clearly, um, at a number of levels, I think let's look at the testing side of it. I think we're going to see a lot more med tech development uh, in the UK. Uh, there's obviously been some concern about the infrastructure and capability I think we're very good at, at, at discovering med tech, which is at the development phase. Um, so I think you'll see more in, more in that arena. Yeah. Uh, obviously, more emphasis on, on drug discovery, novel treatment, and vaccine development. Uh, but again, clearly, you know, I, I quote the example of Professor Gilbert at Oxford. You know, she's the lady who's, who's leading that Oxford trial. But you know, she said it herself. You know, once we discover this vaccine, she she only has a pilot lab. She needs to scale that because yeah. that's why they're developing that vaccine facility. And I think what we're going to see, I think, is not only will we discover in the UK, but we're probably going to develop and manufacture in the UK. I think we'll see a lot more of that now 
right. um, a lot less self-reliance, uh, more, more self-reliance rather than reliance outside. So, because ultimately, that's what we need if we really need to have a, a proper pand- a pandemic response uh, yeah. going forward, our own capability internally. Okay, brilliant. And just uh, finally, you know, with, with this crisis, there's been a, a lot more people obviously working from home, uh, and it, that's given people a chance maybe to reflect a bit on on what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, is there something you'd like to start doing differently after life returns to close to, to normality as we're going to get in the near future? Well, I, I mean, I'm you know, I I work flexibly anyway, and I've always found working from home uh, to be very effective. However, yeah. to do it all the time has not been effective. I'll be yeah. honest. I mean, it's been quite difficult to. And I think we're all finding that really. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing I think I've learned and I want to reflect on myself is the pace. I think uh, what I've seen here is it's been very rapid fire, a lot of rapid decision making. Uh, a lot of rapid reviews, and I think actually we just need to take it down a notch and spend more time reflecting on data, reflecting on um, on um, on articles, research papers, uh, because I think you know we've what I've what I've noticed in this age of social media and fake news or yeah. news that is kind of spun in a very um, very different way. Decisions are being made based upon data that probably isn't is as accurate as it could be. Yeah. And I think we all need to take down an arch and really reflect and, and, and contemplate and, and sometimes just read a good old-fashioned paper, not not electronically, but also in your hands, and, yeah. and, and take it down so we actually digest uh, what's been said to us, what's been reported, so we can make some better decisions. I think that's the bit I've, I've noticed. And, and that's what really struck me, how quickly things have changed, how quickly inferences are made based on very limited data um, or, or, or a very little peer review, and maybe that's what I'm thinking. That there should be more peer review uh, uh, going forward, and that requires time and yeah. reflection and, and, and discussion. So that's the bit I think I, I take away from all of us. Yeah, it's it's great to be um, you know agile and be able to change quickly and make those decisions quickly. But you've got to also appreciate that yeah, if you don't have all of that data, those decisions although made quickly might not necessarily be the right decision. So it's getting that balance between the two, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time with. I know uh, we've we've got issues with uh, with lockdown, and so we've we've got to <laughs> keep it reasonably brief today. But thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and hopefully we can catch up in the future when there's a bit more time. But uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, Spencer. No problem. And uh, I hope all you listeners have enjoyed listening to that. Please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on the next edition of the EMG Gold podcast. Thank you.